0: What's up Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. I have a special guest with me here today. If you don't know his voice when you hear it, you will get to know it. This is Stephen Adams, favorite Tennessean right here, the host of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast, contributor for SB Nation's Grizzly Bear
1: Blues, Mr. Sean Coleman. Sean, how the heck are you, man? David, I'm doing all right. It's been a bit too long, but uh, always the pleasure to to catch up with you, thanks for having me, and I uh, appreciate the kind words. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: So I had you on. Let, let's lead off. If you all are not aware, Sean Coleman is a huge Tennessee volunteer fan. So the, the first thing I want to know from you is, sitting there on draft night, were you watching when the Grizzlies made the pick for Kennedy, made the move to move up to get Kennedy Chandler, and what was your initial reaction whenever they got him?
1: So I was, I was with the, with the Grizzlies media um, watching the draft. I'm at the forum and um, I had stepped away to either get something to drink or had stepped away to do something. And when I came back, we, we had, we had picked, um, let's see here. We had already picked LaRavia and Roddy and we were trying to figure out, you know, where, were the Grizzlies done, were they going to wait till 47 and then they said the Spurs picked Kennedy Chandler. And I was like, dang it, you know what? It's, such not bad enough. The Grizzlies didn't do it, but he's going to a rival. And then, um, a good friend Parker Fleming uh, of SBN Grizzlies as well. Uh, he looked at me and said, "Sean, they're trading to the Grizzlies," and I erupted in happiness. I think I sat there and, and it led to poor circulation in Parker's arm because I was squeezing it so hard out of excitement. But I, I know when we when when you cover a sports team, you kind of want to leave your fandom to the side. But at that point, it was hard not to. So I was I was pretty thrilled to to finally. You know, I know that they've had um, Eve ponds and, and others, uh, you know, uh, Stokes as well in the past, but this time around, it seems like they could, you know, have legitimately picked a you know relevant part of their future. It was thrilled that they got Kennedy Chandler, especially with him being able to play in his hometown.
0: So what are your expectations year one from Kennedy Chandler? I, I've liked what I've seen from him so far and throughout the, uh, the draft process process, Isaac and I covered a ton of different prospects. And I loved his decision-making at Tennessee. I love the way he was able to take care of the ball. You know, he had, I think, he averaged around two and a half turnovers a game at Tennessee, but he also had the ball in his hands a ton. So to me, two and a half turnovers is not, you know, it's not Tyus Jones, but it's still very, very good.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I want to see Kennedy Chandler be able to put away doubt that he can make it in the NBA. I'm not going to sit here and be, you know two, you know, rose-colored glasses or, you know, glass, you know, completely full. I'm not expecting for him to be a five-time All-Star or anything like that. I expect for his career to kind of go like Tyus Jones's. I think that the value with Chandler is not going to be in the efficiency aspect of playmaking and ball handling like it is with Jones. I also don't expect for, you know, Kennedy Chandler to really be the shooter Jones is. I think that Kennedy Chandler is going to be more successful as a very good, you know, chaos-causing defender, as well as, you know, being out on the fast break. If you could take away, if you imagine DeAnthony Melton, maybe not to the level, man, that may not be the best comparison. I'll I'll keep the comparisons away. My point is, is that I think the Kennedy Chandler, In his first year, I think that he's going to show that he's going to be able to survive in the NBA for a good amount of time due to his defense, due to his production on the fast break, due to the willingness to be able to improve his shooting, and also the ability to, um, you know, lead the half court offense off the bench. But the key, David, and there's no better place for him to develop this, the key for him is seeing if he can develop a reliable floater. And it's hard to find better teachers than, you know, Brandon Clark and uh, Tyus Jones and John Morant.
0: Yeah, definitely no shortage of guys that know how to shoot the floater on the Grizzlies. So, the the mind, like my mindset behind this, when they made the pick, I, I loved him, and, and I would have honestly been fine if they had stayed at 22 and 29 and he was taken at either one of those spots, I would have been good with it. I, I loved his film from Tennessee, love what he's able to do, like what he brings to the table. I feel like this is kind of a setup move of they sign Tyus to the two year extension and they go out, they draft Kennedy Chandler. Do you feel like that's gonna be kind of a hand in glove type transition? Is that do you do you think we can expect to see that as you know, Tyus plays out this two year extension that he got from the Grizzlies, that they develop Kennedy Chandler and then when Tyus hits his next free agency that he's likely to walk and Kennedy Chandler will kind of
1: move into that role? Yeah. And, 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 you know, the whole the plan of this for the Grizzlies is simple. They signed Kennedy Chandler to a four year deal. The hope for the Grizzlies is that potentially this works out kind of like the John Conchar situation or, you know, for instance, the campaign situation. What I mean by that is this, is that you have Tyus Jones on a two year, 30 million dollar deal you more than likely are going to see Tyus play that out here in Memphis. But say Kennedy Chandler unexpectedly just has an excellent year in South Haven in his time with the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies are ready to trust him you know, as the backup point guard. I don't find that likely, but if that's the case, then you have Tyus Jones that you can have as an expiring $15 million contract. Or at the very least, perhaps that transition happens in the middle of the 23-24 season. The whole point with signing Tyus Jones, you've got the certainty of the backup for John Morant who by the way it's good to have a certain backup for him because you probably don't want him playing all 82 games so you've got the certainty for now in Tyus Jones but that could be a player that can add value when he's on the court throughout the two years of the contract or he eventually could turn into a very valuable trade piece but what whatever happens with Tyus Jones. Over the next two years, the eventual goal is that two years from now, Kennedy Chandler is ready to be John Morant's backup. You've then got him on two cheap years, you know, you know, on his four-year contract. And then beyond that, perhaps you can sign him to a three-year, 18, 19, $20 million deal. The whole point of getting Kennedy Chandler where they got him is to hopefully have a long-term, cost-effective, productive backup for John Morant to where they're not having to spend $15 million on the backup for John Morant. That's the long play. Whether that happens a year from now or whether that happens two years from now, we'll wait to see. But I do think there's a very good chance that Kennedy Chandler could be that guy eventually.
0: So it's interesting to me that you mentioned the, the G League, Do you not feel like he is an opening night guy? Do you think that we see rotation minutes from him? Because you you look at the guys that left, and the Grizzlies take Roddy and LaRavia at uh, 19 and 23, with Kyle and Melton being out the door. I I think that Chandler's defense, I, I think day one, even if he struggles, because it seems like point guards, when they first come into the league, the speed of the game is something that trips them up. Didn't happen with John Moran, obviously, but for rookie point guards, that seems to be the thing that, that trips them up. But Chandler, I think defensively can be effective day one. Do you feel like we see him in any type of rotation minutes this year? Or do you think it's going to be more of a South Haven type thing for him?
1: It's. It's going to be South Haven, and it's going to be similar to Santi Aldama last year. You're not going to see Kennedy Chandler get 10 to 15 minutes, in my opinion, You know, like you could Zaire Williams. And the simple reason why is because at the end of the day, David, with Kennedy Chandler, you're not going to play him over John Morant or Tyus Jones. And you're going to have one of those two at point guard for 40 to 45 minutes each night. You're not going to be able to right now play Kennedy Chandler next to a John Morant or Tyus Jones for an extended period of time. Kennedy Chandler doesn't have the positional flexibility himself right now that others do, like Arati, Laravia, you know, Santi Aldama, what have you. So, and it makes perfect sense. With the certainty that you have, arguably the best one-two combination in the league at point guard, that's perfectly fine. That works out perfect for Kennedy Chandler not to have to worry about, you know, taking on an immediate row. let him go to South Haven, let him work with what the organization wants to work with him on, and let him thrive in that situation. Now, When Ja potentially is rested, or if you know, like we've seen over the past few years, if he's out for an extended period of time, Kennedy Chandler probably will step into a 10 to 15 minute role with Tyus being the starting point guard. So he'll get his spurts. Where he'll get his shots, but yeah, just with where he is, and and and, you know, even if he he can play defense at an NBA level already, I think the best scenario for him is just to ease him into the role. Don't come in with any type of expectations. Let him you know learn and thrive in South Haven, and then a year from now, reassess where you're where you are and see if he can take a bigger role. Then,
0: okay, so let's move into a couple of the other rookies. We we talked didn't really expound on any, but Laravia and Roddy and just the the whole summer league experience, what you don't have to go into a ton of depth or you can go into as much as you want. What what did you like or dislike from those guys in the summer league?
1: So with Laravia, I think that there is definitely an NBA ready shot. I think there's a repeatable form. I think that there is a source that can complement. Desmond Bain or John Conchar or whatever role he is, I think that while Arabia may not necessarily at first be the main shooter in any one lineup, he's a great secondary shooter. I think that he's a guy who can especially thrive off catch and shoot situations. He is very, very good off the ball. So even if he's someone that may never be a true asset creating his own shot, I think that he's going to be very good at finding the soft spots in the defense to be able to make threes on a basis. On defense, probably not the most athletic guy. Again, kind of like a Kyle Anderson. I think he has the intelligence and the instinct to play within the team concept to make it work. The one thing that you certainly want to see an improvement in is the willingness to take his shot. That certainly stood out. 4-14, I believe, you know, from the field in summer league. Two of a- Nine from three, you know, nowhere near the number of shots that you wanted for him to take. But while that may be a bit of a concern, the thing I counter with is there's no better place for LaRavia to, you know, overcome that than Memphis. We know, you know, uh, Taylor Jenkins' mantra, let that blankety-blank fly, and also the fact that he's had clear success – helping guys who were reluctant to shoot in the past be able to figure out their shot once they arrived in Memphis. So I think LaRavia will be just fine. And I think that he could be a better shooting source than some may expect as a rookie. Um, David Roddy, he's got an offensive back. Um, he's got good awareness. You know, one of the things that Zach Kleiman talked about on draft night was the shot value aspect of getting the Ravie and Roddy. You can tell that there's some intelligence with Roddy when it comes to his ability to know which shot to take. He's a good open court finisher. Um, you know, he's someone on defense who, who who's going to take time. You know, he's definitely going to be a guy coming off the bench for the few first few years of his career, and it's going to be his value is mainly going to be offensive. But there's plenty to like in the offensive game. Plenty of confidence. He fits the Grizzlies' mantra as and someone who's going to go 100% at all times and can do some damage in the open court. He also can do plenty when it comes to half-court basketball in terms of creating his own shot. But the defense, I think, is something that's going to have to come along. That's ultimately going to be his swing skill to determine whether he's a long-term reserve or starter.
0: All right. So Vince Williams, Jr., we, we didn't see a ton from him in summer league. Did, do you feel like I, – I think that – his size that, you know, what, six 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 seven with a plus wingspan draft him kind of as a, a 3 and D type player. But if you look at what he was able to do at the college level, he was able to create for himself, and we didn't really get to see any of that. It was almost I, – I don't want to call him passive because I, I talked with Candice about this the other day. I don't know if it was by design from the coaching staff that he was in more of a catch-and-shoot type situation or if it was just kind of a, um, a passiveness from him. But did you see anything from him that you liked? Do you think, you know, I know that he's picked 47. That's way down the line. Your expectation should not be through the roof for him. But Zach Kleiman has kind of set himself up for a letdown at some point because you look at what he's done through the draft with this team, and, and it's been phenomenal. He really has not had a, a big miss yet. And so – with Vince Williams, even though he's taken at 47, I think a lot of Grizz fans have high expectations just because of what Kleiman's been able to do through the draft. What What are your thoughts on Vince Williams?
1: Yeah, and he's also got the distinction of being the first Kleiman draft pick that Kleiman actually stayed at the pick that he had to, to get him, you know, Climent's made 10 picks. He, he stayed to get Morant. He stayed to get Vince Williams. He straighted around to get the other eight. So that, that's a pretty cool thing for Vince Williams. Um, I think one of the things that played into, you know, kind of the passiveness or maybe not as much of an opportunity for Vince Williams is that, you know, just to be honest with you, he probably was low in the priority, you know, that he he was playing with, you know, four first round picks from the Grizzlies over the past two years. Kennedy Chandler, as well. You know, they're just, there's only so many opportunities that are out there for folks. And so Vince Williams just naturally was not that big of a priority to feature on this team, I feel. I think that that becomes, you know, he becomes a bigger priority in South Haven. And I think it's very similar to Kennedy Chandler. I think that the Grizzlies ultimately would love for Vince Williams and um, Kennedy Chandler to develop into bench role players that can get minutes, you know, maybe two to three years down the line. That That's what I think they envision for them. And it may or may not work out, but I do think that he's someone that definitely can get the chance at South Haven. I think he's also someone that, you know, we always see injuries, you know, throughout the year, he may get a little bit of a run, you know, if there are going to be multiple injuries, to, you know, wings in the Grizzlies lineup. But I think Vince Williams will be able to show his two-way versatility as a 3-and-D player in South Haven more than he did in the summer league. And I do agree. I think there's plenty of excitement, especially, you know, with some of the good decision-making we saw from him at the college level.
0: So let's go to the maybe the biggest shock of the entire summer league, Kenneth Lofton Jr. I, I've seen multiple people talking about, you know, give this man a, a regular contract, convert that two-way we saw a lot of good stuff from him. We saw the, the bully ball moment on Chet, a lot of things that can get you excited from what Lofton was able to do in the summer league. My question to you is, do you feel like when we get to preseason, is he going to be able to do that against higher level competition? Is this something that you can expect to see from him? And what's your you know projection for what Kenneth Lofton is going to do over the next
1: year or two with the Grizzlies? I don't mean to be repetitive, but I, you know, I, my prediction is that a year from now he'll definitely be on a regular contract. Um, I, I think that you know, with um, you know, a year from now we'll have we'll, we probably won't see Killian Tilly on the roster. Um, Xavier Tillman will be going into the last year of his contract. At this point, you probably I don't think the Grizzlies really view Xavier Tillman getting a John Conchar like extension at this point in time. Um, I, I think that Kenneth Lofton is someone that will be able to play and, and prove once again. How good he is in the intangible parts of the game. What amazes me about Kenneth Lofton is for the body type that he is, which, you know, let's be honest, and he's probably heard this for years now, it's not the, you know, most, you know, common type of body type. You know, he's not, he's not this chiseled big man, but he's a player that knows his body. And the great thing to me at age, young in age, as he is with the body type that he is, the other thing that stands out to me is that the, emphasis that he's put into when it comes to his work on his footwork. Kenneth Lofton, for a player as young as him, it's amazing to see him accept, hey, this is who I am. This is how it's going to be. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to play bully ball. I'm going to be able to use my footwork and know how to position myself to get things done. And I'm also going to surprise some people with being able to shoot from distance as well. He's another player. I think you just give the opportunity to thrive in South Haven. But next year, when the Grizzlies front court kind of thins out with Tilly and Tillman, and you know, perhaps maybe you have a trade or two that happens you know, and since then, I think Kenneth Lofton is a sensible player to eventually become the Grizzlies fourth or fifth big a year from now. And I think he's someone that, yeah, he probably could last a decade or so, mainly as a um, bench big, because I don't ever know if he's going to have the defensive ability to really become a long-term starter. Hopefully he surprises, but I do think that he is someone that definitely could be you know, a bench rotation player for the Grizzlies as well. As a matter of fact, I think that Kenneth Lofton has just as good of, if not a better chance of being that bench rotation player earlier in his career than a Chandler or a Vince Williams is.
0: Wow. Okay. That That's a little, little surprising. Like the Vince, Vince Williams, I definitely agree. I guess even though you're a Tennessee guy, the, the film that I watched on Chandler, man, I, it just completely sold me on him. I, his ability to move with the ball, the way that he can change speeds, he could just tear people up off the dribble. And that type of speed and th- the ability to change directions the way that he does, I feel like that's going to translate. And so I, I, I think that you know earlier in the and I try not to get too high, too old, too low in the summer league, but I, I feel like he is going to make Tyus Jones expendable. And and you know you kind of talked a little bit about it earlier as that would be a long term plan. Let Tyus Jones play out this contract. By the time he gets to the end of it you have developed Kennedy Chandler into the guy that can take over, but it wouldn't surprise me to see that happen sooner rather than later. Um, So we're going to move away from summer league. Now we're going to move. Jaron Jackson goes down. We get the, do you, okay. I've, I've got to be honest when the news broke about the Jaron Jackson injury, it was very, very weird how it all went down. It was, Here's the John Morant contract. Jaron Jackson's out four to six months. Here's the Tyus Jones contract. And I, I don't know that it was intentional that they were trying to hide anything, but did you find that weird at all? Whenever they announced all of that together?
1: Not necessarily. And and the reason why I think that that's the case is because, you know, they probably knew well beforehand, but I mean, you know, also it could have been, you know, kind of like that positive sandwich, I guess that it's called. You've got the positive of signing your franchise player for six more years. You got the positive of signing a fan favorite who turned into a very good player. Oh, by the way, at this time when we have multiple you know um, breaking news that's positive, we've also got this pretty relevant negative news situation. I could see that being the case, but I don't really think there's too much to read into kind of how it broke and I understand where you're coming from, uh, but at the end of the day, you know I think that the, the main thing is is that you know the Grizzlies basically were showing that they were going to invest in John Morant. They were investing in another source that will allow for them to have the best opportunity to have John Morant be as fresh and healthy as Possible when his talent is going to matter most in the playoffs. And then from there, they're also investing in two point guards who are very capable of leading this team. And that's especially going to be needed when you're going to be without a talent anchoring your defense and a shooting talent like Jaron Jackson Jr. So, you know, I don't think there's too much to read in it. But in general, I think that, you know, the positives are going to outweigh the negatives because at the end of the day, you got six years of Jaw, you got two years of Tyus. Hopefully, you're only going to be without Jaron for a third of the season.
0: So what do you think if we're – let's say for this exercise that, that Jaron hits the front end of this four to six months and that would put him – we got the announcement that would be, what, November would be the like the earliest date that he he would come back based off of this time frame. What do you think this team looks like in those, you know, whether it's November or it ends up being January – What do you think this team looks like? What's the record going to look like for this team next year without that defensive anchor? Because we had, when Jaron was down with his previous knee injury, we had, we had Kyle Anderson that could step in and he was a more than capable replacement. Not that he's the rim protector that Jaron is, but he he was able to play alongside the, the big men and still bring a good defensive presence at the four. And I feel like with Jaron being out, you have Brandon Clark, who is, is a good defender, but I find it problematic trying to play a lineup with Steven Adams and Brandon Clark because they operate in the
1: same spaces. Yeah, I, well, and and I think at the end of the day, listen, let, let's go back to last year. The Grizzlies without Dylan Brooks were 9-10 and 10, the, as of the Friday after Thanksgiving, and they had just lost John Morant. For ten to twelve, you know, games. Um, At that time, Jaron was 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 showing a bit that he was, you know, a good defensive player. He didn't have his true breakout until the month of January. But the thing that I'll tell anybody that's Talking about going into this season, you know, how big of a potential letdown it could be for the start of this season. I asked him to go back to last season. At one point, we were nine and ten. One of the worst defenses in the league because we could not stop anybody shooting the three. And this was was with Jaron Jackson Jr. playing. This time around, we're gonna have everybody a year older. We're gonna have Dylan Brooks. I understand we're gonna be without. Kyle Anderson, under gonna stand, we're gonna be without De'Anthony Melton. So yeah, we may be off to a slow start. We did that exact same thing last year. I'm not saying this year we're gonna go 47 and 16 in our last 63 games, but the thing that I'm getting at is, is that if anybody wants to have an idea of what things could look like to start this season, go back to last year there were times when it was pretty dire and there's a good chance it may not be that bad. I think we'll probably hover a few games over 500 for, you know, what, the 25 to 35 games that we're without Jaron. And then at that point, when you get him back, you've got the rookie settled in, hopefully have a healthy Dylan Brooks to go with Jaron to anchor your defense and the offense that hopefully will have better balance in time as well with everybody a year older, a bit more shooting depth and obviously Jaron's impact back as well.
0: The optimistic Sean Coleman Appreciate you taking time to uh, to come on with me here. We're talking about the Grizzlies. We've talked about summer league stuff and kind of your projections. I-, I like that. I like the comparison. The first 20 games of the season last year, I can't tell you how many times I saw, oh, they never should have got rid of uh, of JV, or this team would be better with with Valanchunas. And then things clicked. They figured something out. The defense got better. And, you know, whether – do you think when they that that twenty game stretch, the first twenty game stretch of the season, what what do you feel like it was that clicked for this team that turned it around? Because that that was something, you know, Taylor Jenkins. I remember in the in the post game pressers, he was like a robot. We would ask like different people would ask him questions about the team, and we would get a lot of coach speak. It would be he would give you an answer without really giving you an answer. Do you think – what happened or what did you see that happened for them where it really turned around?
1: Prioritizing patience over panicking, and, and that's what this team has done this whole time. Last year's first 20 games drives home one thing that I've talked about quite a bit this offseason. Last year proved to the Grizzlies, with as young as they are, with the depth that they have, and even if what's successful for them last year may not be successful for them this year. We've seen two straight seasons where the Grizzlies have taken different approaches to be successful, and it's led to them making the playoffs. I'm not saying this team devalues the regular season, but what I am saying is is that it's not that important to the Grizzlies to have the second-best record in the league moving forward. What's important to the Grizzlies is having their best players healthy and fresh for the playoffs and also having a roster that's going to have the depth that's going to be successful in the postseason. That's not a depth that's going to win the game by getting possession edge, which is great in the regular season, but you know, it may not necessarily be that much of a difference maker in the in the postseason they want a roster to where they have good shooting depth they want a roster that makes good decisions to limit turnovers they want a roster that's a big bigger to not be out rebounded like they were in that Warriors series they want a roster that will move the basketball around to where they can shoot the twos as well as the threes so my point is is that i'm not saying the regular season is important but i do think that, that 20 game stretch and then the grizzlies taken off after that it told them that hey Just because we may not start off in the best place, what matters is that we're in the best place possible once it gets to the high leverage playoff situations. And I think that that's why the Grizzlies were okay with saying bye to players like JV, Grayson, Melton, and Kyle, and why they made the investments that they have in the draft. They've got not only depth now, but they've got depth that may be a bit more valuable in the playoffs than previous players that they had. It may take a few years to realize it, but that's always remained the goal, the long-term focus of being a contender for as many years as possible. Yeah.
0: Zach Kleiman on multiple occasions has said championships with an S as in more more than one. And so hopefully we get to see that. I can't wait to see a parade on Bill Street. Um, I'm hoping that happens sooner rather than later. Maybe it's this year. Who knows? Sean, I will let you get out of here, man. Thanks again for coming on with me. Let everybody know where they can find you and your work, and then we'll wrap it up
1: yeah you can find me at stats sac on twitter a uh, co-host of michael cole who does you know obviously a great job being the beat writer for the uh commercial appeal you can find that uh, that that's where i do my my podcast uh, work um the my written works over at Grizzly bear blues um at uh, com. um and uh, you know if you're a Braves fan i also do a Braves podcast through batterypower.com so when it comes to talking grizzlies when it comes to talking Braves or writing about them you that's where you can find my work and you know, as always I'm someone who just loves talking Grizzlies basketball. Great folks like David, so I appreciate the opportunity for you having me on, David. Thank you again, sir. Yes, sir. Guys,
0: we appreciate you tuning in. You can get the show on Twitter at Ethos Grizzlies. I am at N-B-A-D World 2 21 Isaac is at Isaac underscore underscore N-B A. And Candace is at CandiceH901. That's a lot. I didn't realize how much that was. It's a whole mouthful. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.